Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Wild, Messy, Infinite Love. My name is Eric Snader, a.k.a. Brother Snades, and this week is an interview podcast. Woo! So you don't need to just listen to me talking. <laughs> um, so... This week's episode is episode number 29, and the title is called A Bit About Economics. Um, in today's episode, I actually have one of my dearest friends on the podcast with me. Um, this is someone that I went to college with. We were both biblical and religious studies majors. Um, this guy... Um, got married and him and his wife lived in a tiny house in um, sort of like a, a commune type of community where they were really focused on living simply, um, living off the land as much as they can. Um, and now they are preparing for a move out to Washington state where they are going to be building their very own homestead, um, where they are going to really be trying to practice simple living and, um, intentionally exploring alternative business models. Um, so my friend's name is Austin Eschenwald. Um, you'll probably get a laugh at the end of the episode. I make note of how I'm really bad at mentioning who I'm talking to at the beginning of an episode. So this guy's name is Austin Eschenwald. We graduated from college together. Uh, he was in my wedding. Um, He's just an absolutely wonderful individual who is both deeply spiritual, um, but also very engaged in creation care and taking care of the planet and also social justice. Um, so naturally, he gravitated towards economics. Um, and we talk about it a little bit in the podcast, but economics and money really is the root of a lot of injustice in this world. Um, and that's really caused Austin to dig into this stuff a lot deeper than um, you or myself may have before. Um, so this is a really fascinating conversation. I absolutely loved it. Um, chances are this won't be the last conversation that I have with him, um, either in the podcast or as we move forward um, with our lives. But in any case, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Um, a secondary announcement that I would have for you is that for the month of May, as some of you know, um, I've been working on a master's thesis pretty much this entire past year, and I've completed it. I've submitted it. I've even got accepted um, for a presentation with the 10th Religion in Society Conference, which is happening out in Vancouver. I'm a virtual participant in that. But with that being said, in the month of May, I am going to be devoting four episodes, um, so four weeks worth of episodes, to my research and what I talk about in my thesis, which is all about eschatology and ecotheology, which essentially is all about the how the Christian narrative of hope ties in with creation care, ties in with climate change, and how we um, maintain and tend Mother Nature um, and commune with Mother Nature, not as a resource to be consumed, but rather a vital member of our community. Um, so be on the lookout for those. I'm going to do a four-part series on that, which is basically going to be a breakdown of my entire thesis. If you're interested in reading my thesis, um, go ahead and let me know either through social media or through email. Um, I'm happy to send it to you uh, if you're interested in reading more about it. But 
that's neither here nor there because this week we are talking about a bit of economics. So friends, let's talk about it. So, I guess as a as a warm up, tell me a little bit about Eisenstein, and we might get yeah, into this um, again further on. What'd you say? We might get into this again further on, but I'm not really familiar with him at all. Okay, yeah. So he actually lives in Harrisburg. Does he um, really? Yeah, I've been <laughs> I've been wanting to get in touch with him. Um, no, I can't, obviously, but, <laughs> or, you know, meet with him in person, but, um, but yeah, he, so I don't, how does he, I don't know how he describes himself. Um, I can, I would call him a, I don't know if he considers himself an ec- economist, but he's, uh, like a philosopher. Um, he has, uh, ex- as extensive knowledge of religions. Um, and this he says in the beginning of the book that he's read a lot of economics books, um, and a lot of progressive, um, people. And a lot of the time they'll critique the system without giving an, like an actual answer to where we can go from here. Um, Mm -hmm. or there's someone that provides an answer without critiquing it and doesn't have good founding on, on their answer for it and their, their, you know, their solution. Um, and so he wanted to write a book that does both. And okay. that's what he did with this. Um, and so the it's it has a strong emphasis on earth care, um, mm-hmm. while also um, the, there's the focus on we need to regain the commons uh, and and uh, and create a system that brings like that encourages people to do the right thing. Like right okay. now, our system rewards doing the opposite of what we need to do. Right. So. In reference to the commons, you're talking about like the the idea that there's common ground for the community. So like people would share a pasture for all of their farm animals. Yeah. Uh, rather like, than like private property. There, he's he wouldn't he's not against private property, private ownership, but hmm. ownership of land is an issue. Ownership right. of other people's labor. Um, but the, the big one is land. Um, like we didn't create the earth. Um, we, so one of the the parts of the solution is to, um, to, uh, to rent out land and then give that money back to everyone. Okay. Um, so no one owns land, but you, you can own the improvements that you make on the land. Um, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, um, but the, the, the big part, like the foundation for how to, re- how to restructure the economy is a demerge system. And I'll get into that, um, but negative interest. Um, so, um, but it's, what? it's also negative interest. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get ready for that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but it's it's encouraging people to care for each other, to regain a gift economy, to actually decrease the GDP because it's a 
the a terrible measure of, of the quality of a community. Um, mm-hmm. So does that help? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess launching off of the questions that I sent you just to sort of kickstart things, mm-hmm. how do you define economics? Yeah, so I, I, I've i never actually been asked that question. So I, I the first thing I did, um, I, I looked up the Google definition, um, which is the, <laughs> the, the branch of knowledge concerned with the production, consumption, and transfer of wealth. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah. Because I would say that it, it's really silly to, um, to try to quantify uh, wealth um, because... Uh, I think it's important to go to to the de- to what we what money is um, because wealth you know is equivalent to money um, for us right the sense of what we value right right most uh, and a lot of like the the textbook definition of of money is uh, is threefold it's uh, unit of account medium of exchange and store of value um, and so if you if to define economics, um, you're, you know, and, and money where that's where, that's what we're, we're told is, is typically, you know, it's what, what, where money, um, what money is, but it doesn't get to the root of actually where it comes from. Um, right. and so I would define economics as an attempt to quantify what we make and do for each other. Okay. Um, and, and the, I guess to add to that, the, the, the studying of, of that. Um, but so I, I, I thought it was, it would be important to talk about where money came from. Um, because, absolutely. Um, so, you know, the, the first thing people will typically say, if you ask them, it's that, you know, the, um, the fed, uh, or any central bank and banks, um, generate money by just writing, you know, like, make me just write it with a like writing it down um yeah by uh um wait are you saying money is made up (laughs) yeah (laughs) crazy right (laughs) um but but that's not exactly that's not where uh, like where it totally comes from um because like what causes people to to what causes the banks and the fed to to make that um investment um is uh is by uh getting collateral uh for that and having a purpose behind it um Mm -hmm. and being able to profit uh from it um and so so then we go back to okay well what why would they do that Um, and, and so if you, you look at, uh, like if someone goes to a bank and, uh, says, I want, uh, a million dollars to start this, uh, business of, uh, logging, um, Mm -hmm. and you know, they, a lot, like that's a solid industry. Um, they'll, you know, that you, you explain your, uh, your business plan and how you will pay back the, um, the principal and the interest, um, because obviously they're lending, they're lending money for interest, uh, to profit from that. Um, so where does the money come from? Well, in this case, it's coming from logging. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it's an extraction of resources from the environment. 
Um, mm-hmm. The other case is um, from labor. Um, mm-hmm. So think of, uh, you know, a, another business would be uh, childcare. Um, mm-hmm. There's no extraction of environmental resource directly related to the profit. Um, but for uh, a business, uh, um, a daycare business, um, it's someone's labor that mm-hmm. um, is generating that money. Mm-hmm. And this is what increases the, G- the GDP, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is when that that's what causes a bank to to create that money. Um, that's the incentive. Uh, so mm-hmm. I would say that the source of money actually goes back to labor, people's time, um, effort, and uh, natural resources. Right. So it, it's it's creating some sense of value on the work that we're doing in the world, whatever yes. that work might be. Yes. Um, but it's in, in our case with, with positive interest, um, there has to be an increase, a growth, um, which mm-hmm. people typically, you know, will say is, is a good thing. Um, you like grow the economy, creates jobs, um, we all prosper. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, so, but you need, you need constant, you know, a, a constant flow of extraction resources and, um, and, people's labor right and that's that's where like this this idea of consumerism comes in then is like in order to continue growing you need to keep consuming and you need to keep producing and you need to keep going and going and going Mm -hmm. and then there's these incentives along the way that's saying well if you work hard enough if you fulfill this american dream so to speak then you'll get the nice car you'll get the nice house you'll go to the best schools right and and that's a good thing to a lot of people um right that's how we've gotten to where we are right exactly Um, and and you you are arguing then that that is not a good thing (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i I would i would argue that yeah i'm right there with you i'm right there with you (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, um so if that is not the right thing what is the right thing so i think the well, before before we get into that, what mm-hmm. what about the current system is not good? So, like, yeah. what what about it creates injustice or imbalance? Yeah, um, the first thing that I think of is um, the two being intertwined: um, growth and interest. The mm-hmm. um, the this idea that exponential growth is good. And um, and positive interest. Um, mm-hmm. and positive interest meaning like extra income or like so positive interest is what's causing these big banks to have like quarters where they mail, make like a billion dollars in a quarter. Yeah, of well, extra income. Right. Um, it's what interest. Positive interest is is the like it it gives us the ability to profit off of owning money. Okay. Which I think is the core of the issue. Okay. Um, because, uh, as I, to- I said earlier, like the, um, we reward our system currently rewards, um, behavior that we don't, we don't want that, uh, that has got us to the point where we have this massive, um, uh, difference in, in people's, income um yeah 
like the wage uh, gap. Or, yeah, yeah, our, our huge wage gap, our uh, this, uh, and not just income particularly, but um, this concentration of 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 wealth that isn't even being used. That's just people are holding in their bank accounts, uh, and then right. banks are you know reinvesting. Um, but if you like, we we talk about wanting to encourage um, people uh, people to 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 move the market along to to make purchases. We we want we want a good money flow, but mm-hmm. we want that, and yet we're rewarding people for keeping like holding on to money because that produces more money for themselves. Right, because they're. In many cases, these are the people who own these businesses who have a vested interest in uh, people continuing to buy their products or mm-hmm. continuing to consume what they have to provide. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very much like here, spend your money to go back into my system. Yeah, yeah, and it's not it's it it's every it, it rewards everyone for holding on to their to their wealth to their money, mm-hmm. um, and so I think. Um, if we can flip flip that and reward people for uh, for moving their their money to for to giving it to people um, that and and to create a system that um, specifically that that rewards that and encourages people that that makes people want to do that, um, mm-hmm. then we can all prosper a lot more. Um, and so I think getting back to to interest um i i like um the that charles eisenstein um in his in sacred economics um he offers an example of um uh use interest usury um which we don't what people don't like to combine those but they're exactly the same thing because in mm-hmm. the, in scripture we have a, a very negative view of usury um mm-hmm. but somehow now um, and what is pervasive through Western Christianity, you have this idea that interest is acceptable and a good thing. Um, yeah. And so, but it, giving it a, a loan with interest is usury because you're profiting off of owning money. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, actually, just to go back a minute, um, the reason I find it an issue to profit off of owning money is the fact that like we talked about in the beginning, what money is, it is natural resources and people's labor. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if I have a million dollars, um, that is, uh, that was either, that either originated from a natural resource, uh, or someone else's labor. And I'm, I'm claiming in, uh, now, um, to own that. And then by holding on to it and, and, and investing in something and expecting interest back, I am saying that I can profit off of of what originated as someone's effort and time, mm-hmm. um, and so and I think that one labor should belong to the individual, um, and natural resources should belong to everyone, and everyone should equally prosper um, from that. Um, so. Um, Getting back to the this example of um, of usury, um, he says that the consider the best example of someone using money to to invest in a business and and do good with it. 
um, mm-hmm. would be it would be a um, investing in like using uh, giving micro loans like a loan of five hundred dollars to a woman um, in South Asia. Mm-hmm. So you give her five hundred dollars to buy a milk cow. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, for us, it, it's but this is a this is a loan with interest. Um, so sh- what she has to do in in her culture, where and, and most culture, well, all cultures originated um, with just a sim- like a simple relational credit debt mm-hmm. system um, in the the local community. Um, it's good that she has a cow now where she didn't before, but what she has to do now is make is, is convert a certain amount of her local currency, whether that was a physical local currency or um, just a relational credit system. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be some amount of additional um, currency that is converted into um a do- like dollars and mm-hmm. repaid uh, the principal and the interest. Right. So, so if it's a zero interest loan, it doesn't not necessarily have to be a bad thing because all, because uh, what's happening is that $500 is going in. It does a good thing to allow her to get a cow. Um, she pays that $500 back and, and not much else happens other than again, the conversion into U uh, S currency, which we can get into. Um, outside of this, but, um, but if you have interest, that is additional income that has to come from somewhere and mm-hmm. it's leaving. So, so we, you know, we call that capital. Where is that capital coming from? Mm-hmm. It's either again, where money is natural resources or people's labor, um, natural resources being something that can be very indirect. It can be simply damaging the environment, uh, for the sake of, of more efficient, um, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, um, Mm -hmm. farming, um, or someone's labor. And that is now extracted from that community from, Mm -hmm. from the inflow. So, um, you know, you want to talk about why we have some countries that have massive wealth and other ones that are incredibly poor. If you follow the the, the history of the money back, you'll see that it, it, you can you'll follow it back to colonialism and mm-hmm. um and this uh this uh you know taxing of people and forcing them to convert their local capital their local resources and, and labor into this foreign currency that ha- that is then taken out of their community and that's that's why you see like so for instance a place like the congo which has very poor infrastructure. It has, there's a lot of corruption. Um, and a lot of people would view that as a quote unquote third world country or an underdeveloped country. Right. But a lot of its resources have already been extracted by colonial powers, such as Belgium and other European mm-hmm. colonial powers. So they went in, they extracted a whole ton of, capital whether that be natural resources or the labor and then they essentially just pieced out and left this huge void yes yeah and without you, replacing anything yeah you find that all over the world uh, and, and it's it originates with with people coming in and taking control and then c- and converting that capital and moving it out 
Uh, and then we, and now we look at them and say that, well, they're doing something wrong. Um, they're, you know, without, whether we want to say it or not, we often think less of those people as being less uh, capable um, because their country is in shambles. It's a mess and ours is great. Um, and, and yet our, our, our massive concentration of wealth is coming from them. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you have uh, the, what's in the last how many years we've we've had this growth in the fair trade movement um, mm-hmm. because we it's come out that there's these terrible factories um, that are you know, charging you know little to no wages um, mm-hmm. and and we are receiving you know cheap products out of that and it's increasing our GDP which is a good thing for us but we are extracting their labor right and and so it's, it's again. It is capital that originated there and is is leaving, and now that community is uh, taken. It's you know impoverished, and we have all the you know terrible things that happen there, and we're getting their capital. Right. I think I think that's one of the most insidious aspects of our current economic system in the model that we have it because it also drives people to find capital for the very cheapest amount Mm -hmm. in order to increase their income so like you look at how america got its wealth america got its wealth through slavery and through selling weapons Mm -hmm. um so they 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 literally took advantage of how many people through the act of slavery they put how many people in danger by selling weapons Mm -hmm. and in by by increasing their own stockpile of weapons missiles Mm -hmm. um all this kind of stuff throughout the world wars throughout the cold war a lot of our gdp and growth from like the 40s and 50s came out of these arms deals basically mm-hmm. yeah and that's and that's something that sure we we get benefits from but then that causes harm and chaos and all sorts of damage elsewhere mm-hmm. in the world right yeah we capitalism does not work well without cheap labor right uh, american capitalism has been founded on slavery from starting from south america moving up to the caribbean and then moving in to north america um and you know that's a, another whole discussion but it's the the that that is what allowed us to have our our booming textile industry which is which was our first major industry that took off um and made us economic and economic powerhouse um boosted right. our economy and that was only possible by slave labor mm-hmm. and then like you were saying before that wealth just was maintained or retained by the same families and by the same corporations and mm-hmm. that wealth just continued to expound because we have that that incentive to the incentive for owning money, the positive interest mm-hmm. that creates more and more wealth. So these people have incentive to hang on to their wealth and it just keeps expounding and compounding to the point where we do have the quote unquote 1%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause they're profiting off of owning money. 
Mm-hmm. And we're, we're rewarding that. And I think, well, and you might be able to speak to this as well, but the 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 aspect of capitalism is that it it's running under this narrative that there's only a set amount of wealth, which is why which is why they're looking for growth. Mm-hmm. But there's only a set amount of wealth that's in the system. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's so scary. I mean, like that's that's also what's expounding or compounding this terribly large income and wealth gap is yeah. that all of this money keeps circulating through and more and more of it keeps going into the pockets of the people who have money mm-hmm. and have access to all the resources. Right. Yeah. We, we have this mantra of scarcity mm-hmm. that there's not enough to go around. And that is, a is, I would argue is a myth. Um, we I'm have right there with you. We, I think, a major shift we need to have is is uh, is the shift from scarcity to abundance. Um, mm-hmm. We we can feed the entire world uh, with with the just the land on the east coast of the United States. Um, to put it into perspective, um, we we have depleted our soils so much that we have this idea that you have to work really hard for to get a lot of food to be efficient um but when the colonists first got here um this landscape was so productive and and so provided so much food not as for as many people um there were a lot of native americans here but um nothing like obviously there is now but there was so much more wildlife as well Mm -hmm. um like uh, in California, um, you couldn't go a day without seeing forty bears, grizzly bears. Mm-hmm. Um, the the rivers, um, the salmon runs that we uh, actually there used to be on the east coast just as much as the west coast. Um, you could walk across the, uh, I mean, at least people said literally you could walk across the river, um, and uh, only touch fish the whole time you walk across because there was that many salmon. Um, Mm -hmm. but what we see now is the result of our constant obsession with growth, um, Mm -hmm. in, in the immediate. Um, and, and I think that's, we need to shift from, um, profiting immediately, um, which is what we reward, um, compared Mm -hmm. to profiting, um, in the future. Right. Uh, And I think, I think that's a really important distinction to make, too, because growth in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, it's not a bad thing to be pushing for um, equality for all people. It's not a bad thing to try and grow personally or yeah. anything like that. But, like, it's it's the it's the obsession with not having the forethought for actual future growth. It's just mm-hmm. growth right now. I I think it's it's important to specify what kind of growth because well, everything you just right. said is yeah I would totally agree it's growth of the money realm that needs to stop right like we don't need more money um, right we and we we wouldn't want money if if it, we weren't able to profit from owning it right um but you know, it, it, what it, like and and also I w- I would say that we don't d- deep down no one really wants it um like yeah no it, i hate money <laughs> oh, god <laughs> yeah, like, it sucks <laughs> we, yeah we we don't even uh people who have a lot of it like like i grew up in a million dollar house 
um, like at least 7,000 square feet and there was just three of us. Um, we had a lot of money and we were miserable. Um, mm-hmm. We did not, it was not a healthy family environment. Uh, and I, I've met so many other people that have a, a lot of money. And I mean, even like our middle class, upper middle class um, has a lot compared to most of the rest of the world. Oh yeah, um, for sure. For the reasons we're talking about. And um, uh, people like people recognize that money doesn't solve your problems. It doesn't bring you happiness or love. Um, and yet we continue to allow, like to agree because, you know, money is just an agreement by everyone right. to accept it. Um, to, we, we agree to allow this to continue, even though we're, and we're angry at people for having billions of dollars, um, and holding on to it. Um, and yet we continue to live and work for it. Right. Um, because that's what, like, we don't have, a lot of us don't have much of a choice. Right. Exactly. I, I think that's one of the things that I resonate really strongly with. Um, obviously my Liz and I are, are doing okay. I mean, like we're able to pay all of our bills and that kind of stuff, but I stress out and get anxious about money all the time. And there are so many days I was, I could just, I mean, I tell Liz this all the time. I'm like, I really wish that we didn't have to have money to pay these bills. I really wish we didn't have to have money in order to have health insurance. I wish we didn't have to have money to be able to feed ourselves or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Cause it just keeps causing me stress and anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it feels like, but this is one of the most necessary things in life. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, getting back to this idea of scarcity, um, it's, it's such a silly thing to, to have as such a core part of our culture because there, we do have abundance, uh, on earth. It's just highly concentrated at this point, mm-hmm. um, because of what capitalism has allowed to happen, um, and encourages to happen. Um, but we aren't like the earth isn't, is still abundant, um, yeah. in spite of all the damage we've done <laughs> and continue to do every day. Um, but we, we still have this abundance. We've just put it in the hands of people that aren't doing anything with it. Um, I don't think it, I don't have an issue with people having more, like some people having more money than other people. I have an issue with people having the exorbitant amount of money, um, that, that they do. Um, like Bezos, I think his net worth is like 112 billion. Yeah. Um, something around there, uh, like that. And and he's not doing anything with it. Right. I, so, I mean, like say what you want about like billionaires donating to help COVID research or whatever. But like one of the things that I saw online was like, both Bezos and Bill Gates donated, I don't know how much money it was, but they donated a bunch of money to go towards COVID research. And then the, the founder of Twitter donated a billion dollars and like, it was like 20 or 25% of his total wealth. But then like when you looked at something like Bezos's contribution, it was less than like half a percentile of his total wealth that he donated. Yeah. Like what is he doing with the rest of that money? Well, he's even, he's been recorded on video saying that he doesn't know what to do with his money. (laughs) 
<laughs> that, that's and I I don't I I get angry with him, um, but I don't think that's helpful. Um, I think it's most helpful to direct my anger at our our system, our economic system that rewards his behavior, right? Um, and 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 focus the, my desire for change there. Mm-hmm. So, what do you see as sort of an alternative or ways that we can like work towards fixing this either like more on the ideological level or even on the practical level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, system- Cause this is obviously something that you're really passionate about. And this is something that you have been working towards both you and your wife have been mm-hmm. working towards mm-hmm. in, you know, being really intentional about, living a different sort of way right right i mean i i got in like i i got interested in in economics which i never thought i would um as, because every time i look at an issue in the world uh anything any issue you can think of i always find money involved some way uh it, it most of the time it's pretty it plays a significant role right um and and so yeah that's um uh that's yeah that's what got me here but i i um as a a way so, uh, start with uh, on a systemic level um as we've been talking sorry about, that was a very broad question yeah no 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 that's that's <laughs> fine because uh, i can get what i'm doing personally and but also i just because we've been talking about it like alluding to it um this whole time on a systemic level i think the the ideal is um a negative interest economy um mm-hmm. where uh as i've been saying a bunch like we were rewarding the holding on to wealth um i i would say that our what the direction we need to move is to a dem- what's called a demurrage system uh, um uh, uh some people call it decaying money which um is not attractive to a lot of people but i think that's a beautiful way to mm-hmm. to say it. Um, we have this idea in our culture that decay is bad. We, you know, we obsess over extending our life and extending, uh, you know, like having nice like things that last a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we have so many cheap products, um, I was going to say that's yeah. right. <laughs> but like you know, we we don't like the idea of decay of of mm-hmm. things just being destroyed. Um, as ironic as it is, um, we, so, um, I think money should be, uh, something that, that reflects natural decay, uh, of like, you know, uh, nat- like you look at the, the, um, the environment, like everything has a, uh, there's this con- constant cyclical cycle of, of, uh, life, life and death. Um, mm-hmm. you know, our, our bodies, um, decay over time. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I think a, a good example of like, um, beautiful decay is, is compost. Um, mm-hmm. you have this, this, uh, these, you know, plant scraps or whatever, uh, that, um, the, we can't, you can't use at that point, um, for many things. So you, you compost it, uh, it decays and it turns into something beautiful. 
Um, mm-hmm. So decay doesn't have to be an, a bad thing. So, so decaying currency is something I, I, I like that term, but um, it's, it's, it, what, what happens is you have, uh, say for every dollar you have in the bank, um, this system would um, take, uh, uh, it would devalue that dollar um, one cent every month. That would be a 12% demerge rate. I wouldn't go mm-hmm. much higher than that. It hasn't, um, that's been the highest to my knowledge that people have done. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can go down to like, you know, three percent uh, or like maybe six percent might be a sweet spot. Um, people mm-hmm. have experimented with this. Um, we have there's a lot of examples of um, of towns that have uh, instituted a merge system. A lot of the time it's it's in, in the as a result of uh, the country. Um, having an economic crisis. Um, mm-hmm. pe- that's when people are willing to try something else. Um, right. Which is why th- this time is really exciting <laughs> to talk about this. Um, <laughs> uh, but what, what happens is what, um, every time um, there, uh, the uh, municipality has, has tried a demerge system, it's been hugely successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much that the, ev- every time the uh, federal government shuts it down, because it ends up taking power uh, away from the central the central government, mm-hmm. um, and uh, gives it back to local communities. Um, mm-hmm. Because you have the cycling of of the wealth that stays within the community much more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, so how how does how does that decaying of the currency result in that money? being retained in the community then yes so um and at its base uh it encourages people to to move money um okay because you don't if you have if you have a million dollars in the bank and it's decaying at six percent per year um why would that why would you keep that in there um, okay yeah, yeah yeah compared to spending it um you know right now we are afraid to spend money, extra money that we have, um, because we we need it for a rainy day, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And we, if we have it in the bank, it we gain interest on it, right? Um, so, but that doesn't that doesn't reflect the natural decay of of, of what money represents, um, and uh, and also it's not good for anyone else. Um, Eisenstein, I like I like he um, has the um, he says a lot that um, currently um, more for me is less for you. Um, but in a, a negative interest economy, um, more for me is more for you because mm-hmm. I am actually, I gain something from passing on my money. Even, even giving it away is better than holding on to it. Right. You know, um, let alone spending it and getting something in return immediately uh, a good right. or a service mm-hmm. um and one of the first things people say is uh well where does like where's the money coming from if it's only depreciating um you that uh, and, and also how are banks pos- like how how can banks operate because that's how banks you know make money right uh, is interest um but uh for, so the way that banks can make money is 
you have um, uh, a six percent demerge rate, um, and they say some. Um, they can well. First of all, this allows banks to to give people um, either uh, zero interest or negative interest loans, um, mm-hmm. where they're actually losing money off of it. Uh, technically. Um, uh, but say, for example, there's a 6% demerge rate. They give a loan out um, at negative 3%. There is a difference of 3% of that loan um, that they wouldn't have lost. Right. Um, and, and again, the uh, credit, you know, cre- credit itself is just generated. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I explained that money comes from the extraction of resources and labor. But, um, uh, but we also, like we create credit by, by, um, uh, transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, the banks just write a new loan. Um, so you have that difference, um, that, that, uh, in demurrage and that in the interest, um, that is maintained there. Um, mm-hmm. and then the, the, the continuation of, uh, the in, inflow of credit it actually, it's the same. It's the same concept as we have today. That doesn't have to change, and that's what's mm-hmm. really cool about this system. Is we don't have to really make any massive change to our infrastructure. We just need to decide we're going to have negative interest to, um, instead of positive interest. That's right. Mainly what we need to do. Um, right. But that's when you when you say something like that to someone, the, like someone's immediate response is, "But that's not good for me." Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's another aspect of our system because it's so ingrained in Mm -hmm. all, every single one of us. Right. Yeah. Even, even someone who donates a lot of their money to charity would probably say, well, that, that's (coughs) not something that'll be good for me because I don't have less money to be able to give to charity because it's viewed as this, as this depreciation, as this, you know, this is taking away something from me. Right. But the, and that that is going off the assumption that we we need that we really that we need money to do good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't. The right. the reason that I would argue, I would say and, and something that really ruffles people's feathers is that we need to decrease the GDP. We need to do things to decrease the GDP. Um, and I know a lot of your listeners are uh, Christians, and I think uh, I would say that. In order to be consistent with Jesus' teachings, um, that we should Christians should want to uh, well everyone, um, but you know speaking to Christians, Christians should want to uh, decrease to do things that decrease the GDP. Uh, for example, um, right now, for if someone wants to start going back to the daycare model, um, mm-hmm. if someone wants to start a daycare, uh, which obviously we you know who's going to argue that that's a bad thing, right? Um, uh, they have to, if they don't have the money, they have to go to a bank and get a loan, a positive mm-hmm. interest loan. Um, that they then have to work more for uh, to pay back, um, which makes it harder for them to run their business, um, mm-hmm. for it to be successful. Um, in a negative interest economy, they could go to the bank and say, I need you to loan me $100,000 um, at, um, uh, at say negative 1% interest. Uh, so, you know, they would be paying back, uh, less, uh, than, 
um, they're you know then they are receiving um and, and this is this is where like the i sorry uh this is where like the credit the credit system is still important because that prevents that would prevent someone from saying well i'm going to take this negative interest loan and just not pay anything back then because yes. eventually eventually that would depreciate the entire loan yes and and that's like uh, that's a, another i think easy critique you know at first when you when you hear this this proposed demerge system you think like (laughs) that's you know that's ridiculous um and but yeah so what you do is just like like now if someone can like defaults on their loan this this happens now this is we have a credit system as is Mm -hmm. um you know they you get a bad credit score people aren't going to give you loans right so it's the same thing you know (laughs) right 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 right. um and and also there's actually more incentive not to do that um i'll explain that in a minute um uh so so yeah it's the same it's the same thing if she you know we can do that now um we could do that then right um but so she gets a negative interest of one percent so she she gets a hundred thousand she pays back um uh ninety nine thousand um the bank uh, then maintains that difference of five percent, um, five thousand uh, dollars mm-hmm. compared to holding on to it. Uh, right. they, so they benefit. Um, she gets to start her business, um, and um, and it's it's easier on her. Um, I, sorry, I, I started that um, talking about um, uh, what were we I lost my spot. Um, oh, oh, about de- Jesus. Decrease, <laughs> yeah, decreasing <laughs> we the GDP. We were talking about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why uh, why it's better to decrease the GDP? Um, if what if, what if um, we uh, didn't need daycares because everyone started um, c- uh, taking care of each other's kids, like taking turns and having this this small network of you know. Uh, watching the kids um, and and you wouldn't even need to pay extra money for a daycare right um, so essentially what you're saying is it incentivizes to just not bring money into into the equation at all exactly which again lowers the GDP which we would say that's not a good thing but if you're you know comparing um, ha- like someone needing to open a daycare because kid people can't watch their kids because they need to to work more hours um, to pay for someone to watch their kids and, and do other, like provide their necessities. Um, what if we didn't even need daycares and the person, um, that has the daycare could be someone that just spent more time watching people's kids. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and then we get into, um, this, uh, the, the greater possibility, um, for a, um, a relational credit, uh, gift economy, um, where you have closer knit communities, um, that are, that can care for each other, um, and don't need money because people are, are free to offer each other services, um, and can trust that people, other people in the community will care for them. Um, and that if they, they need money, they can get it. Um, and, and not have to show that they're going to start a for-profit business. Right. And Um, I think, I think that is a really strong image or a strong example of what 
a worldview of scarcity versus a worldview of abundance really is because in a worldview of scarcity we feel like we're on our own we feel like we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps Mm -hmm. whereas in a worldview of abundance there is that sense of communal trust there is that sense of we are in this together and we are doing this together right and there there are people who are going to support me and i'm going to be able to support others Mm -hmm. and and in our scarcity culture um you know what i just said is uh, people pass that all on as uh or off as idealistic yeah uh, as not possible like people aren't going to to do that like in in reality because people are naturally just selfish um and i would say yes uh it's 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 easy to make an argument that everything we do is for our own gain uh in some way even um charity uh actually can be is typically selfish um uh because you know even even like uh, the extreme example of giving money um anonymously um Mm -hmm. you're still a lot of like that's that's built into a lot of religions um Mm -hmm. and um and you it even doing that um you're doing it for a reason for yourself because that's what you think is right to do and that that it so makes you feel good it, it makes, makes you feel good yeah so even even that um is is not selfless um but doing things expecting something in return whether it's you know very indirectly like that um or personal um or expecting some kind of communal gratification um doesn't have to be a bad thing um i something i was just thinking about the other day is um how more how much more bonded i feel with friends um when i have either given something to them and they have not repaid me or they gave something to me and i haven't repaid them Mm -hmm. um there's something powerful about that where that creates a bond and Mm -hmm. and and not um like if if i when someone um you know buys me lunch um and i pay them back um immediately i just canceled that uh, a bond that i have with them Mm um and so one of the things that i that i um I really like, and I, I've been implementing this more in my life, is never clo- uh, have a closing of accounts with my friends. <laughs> um, because, you know, as soon as you pay someone back, you just closed your account. You're, you like, that's, that's what uh, allows us to have impersonal relationships with people who provide our life's necessities, like our food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even when you go, you, you, like when you go to the grocery store, you aren't connected with the farmer that grows your food that you need to live to survive and your family needs um, because you just close out your account immediately when you pay for that. Mm-hmm. Um, in our um, permaculture design course, um, one of the our fellow students uh, said that whenever he has to pay one of his friends back for something, um, he always gives them more than he needs to because then they owe him and then they do the same for him and then he is them. And there's so it there's always this this give and take, this this reliance on each other, this expectation mm-hmm. that like I um like 
I want to continue being your friend um, because, you know, we uh, we owe each other something. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's powerful. And I think that that's something that like that can help to to keep people accountable. Um, and I, and I, it's this in our scarcity model, we we can quickly overlook that as either uh, selfish, strange um, or just you know, uh, uh, idealistic, uh, mm-hmm. too, but I, I don't think it's, it's, uh, helpful to just write that off. Right. And um, if you're already devaluing money as it is, that owing of something becomes, <laughs> becomes a lot deeper than just, Oh, I owe you money because you paid for my lunch. Mm-hmm. That owing becomes much, a much deeper connection where you actually see the care that someone has for you or the love that someone has for you. And that love is what's reciprocal that it's that continual outpouring and in inpouring of love mm-hmm. between, between each other. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's important to note now that I don't think, I don't see money as a bad thing. I think it's neutral. Right. Um, we have, we've gotten to this place where we work for money. Our lives are built around needing and wanting more money. Um, and yet we view money negatively as this evil thing. Um, and, and what it, what it ends up being is this symbol of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, when you look at it like that, it's strange that you can profit off of that too. Right. Um, and so using it as a way to create a bond, a greater bond with someone, um, like a friend, uh, like, uh, someone in your community, um, why, why does, why would that be a bad thing? You know, like why would money be a bad thing in that, in that situation? Um, I think it's beautiful. Right. Um, so tying this back to what you were saying about why this is this is something that Jesus would have supported or something that Jesus actually literally taught mm-hmm. would be that this creates a valuation of the relationship itself and the, the communality between the two rather than the worth being focused on, yeah. on money. Yeah. So um, getting back, like, yeah. So using the daycare idea again, um, like that, like take that, um, and, uh, and you know, t- like again, now a daycare is a good thing. Um, what if we had this community of people just watching over our kids that could be at this communal building in, in the middle of our, um, uh, our neighborhood. Um, and, and, it, and where people don't need to, to spend money, um, there, or if they do, it, it's, you know, it's, um, it's because they they want to it's a it's a communal good um Mm -hmm. and um but take think about anything else that that we like we think is a good thing um that um maybe someone wants to start but they can't because money is a barrier um uh yeah what would be an example um um Kind of, I'm blanking. Um, starting at, like starting some sort of counseling center, or yes, starting some sort you. of <laughs> um, some sort of 
some sort of place where people can come and get help. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Either emotional, physical, whatever that might be. Right. Um, th- what What if those weren't? Uh, that w- what if that was done by someone in the community that has that uh, that professional uh, ability, uh, um, uh, education, um, and um, and and what if that was free? Mm-hmm. Um, we like that would be that would be amazing. That would be beautiful. And that person was able to provide for themselves and flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is our ideal. That would be a, a a better and and you know again not like not just provide for themselves but but have m- more than they need to give away and to to take care like to to enjoy for life. That w- that's a great thing. That also would decrease the money supply. Right. Um, and. And I think you, I think you see people desiring this kind of society now. I mean, like, I know it's still tied in with money, but the fact that people are calling out for universal health care <laughs> in America, that, I mean, like, yes, it's still tied in with money. And yes, there's still plenty of people saying, well, how are we going to pay for all of this? Mm-hmm. But at its heart, it's, it's a desire to say, this is something that we're all deserving of, and we should be able to have access to it no matter who we are, or where we come from, mm-hmm. right? rather than having it tied to what resources we have access to. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that question, like, how can we pay for things? Um, if we, so in a demerge system, you have this, this constant depreciation of money. Um, you know, what we, the, the way that we, uh, in, avoid inflation at this point, uh, is through taxes, taking money out of circulation. Um, in order, in a demerge economy, you already have that built in. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, so I would pose a question, what if we just gave people money? as like universal basic income. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, that throws up a red flag for them. Like, you know, they, we can't do that. Like people will get, be lazy. Um, <laughs> I uh, had to work my entire life at the steel mill <laughs> yeah. and because I had to go through hell. Yeah. Everyone else does too. Right. Um, the first thing I think of is, well, we already give out money. We give out a lot of money. Um, but we get, we, we give it out in government subsidies and bailouts to yeah. big corporations and the people that already have tons of money. Yeah. What? We just gave what? $500 billion to the air airline industry. And mm-hmm. most of those airlines took that money to just rebuy their stock so they, they could make more money. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so we are already giving out money. Um, why not give that to people that aren't going are going to pass it around and provide for their own necessities and uh, give it to their local communities um, uh, you know, instead of and you know and we yeah we have bailouts which are massive amounts of money um, but but regularly we like on the the day to day we give out money uh, in the form yeah. of subsidies um, you know um, is it I think uh, Walmart, uh, Walmart doesn't pay. Uh, tax like local taxes typically um, like a lot of the big companies they come into a town and say that you know we're gonna we're gonna provide all these jobs um, 
and um and then it's like a bidding war for which which town can provide them the best tax breaks exactly yeah yeah um i know i mean that happened in dc with amazon picking which city to build their new headquarters in right Um, they ended up choosing i i think it was like arlington or alexandria just mm-hmm. outside of dc but it was it was like this bidding war right and and the the crazy thing is um it i don't i i would argue that it's not even good for the city that they come into because oh, of course they, not. they're extracting capital from there even mm-hmm. like yeah it's they're creating a bunch of jobs but at the same time you have a lot of local businesses that are going out of business because they come in. I, I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and double check this, but I'm pretty sure Amazon didn't pay any taxes this mm. this past year. I believe it. And they they post they were like one of the most profitable businesses in the country mm-hmm. in the world, and they didn't pay any taxes. Right, and they pay their their employees and treat them terribly. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We have we have a friend from college who works at Amazon and mm-hmm. he fucking hates it. Yes, he does. And, and that's there there is a good example of of that um you know, I, I hesitate to call it slave labor, um, but it's a form, it's cheap labor. Yeah, um that it's, which it's a direct result of capitalism. Um because the um the goal of, of capitalism is is this you know, constant, uh, growth of money. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, you want to cut your, your costs as much as possible. Well, labor is not a natural, um, area, um, that you want to, to cut in your expenses. So you're going to try to lower those as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, we are rewarding that behavior. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, Moving into a more, I guess, practical aspect, because, I mean, for me, it's really exciting to start imagining new possibilities and new new ways forward. Mm -hmm. But how how is this something that we can actually enact in our lives today, even in the midst of being under this heavy burden of a of an interest based system? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. One more thing. I, I yeah. Just on be, going back to the uh, like the merge system, um, a lot like how uh, I think a, a, to just to add to the way that we could we could fund giving a, a universal basic income to people um, is is in tandem with the demerge system, charging for use of of natural resources, and okay. and then giving that a port that you know, div- divvying that out to, to everyone. Um, because right now the big companies are, uh, taking like they're profiting off of, of purely off of the, the extraction of those resources, which I would say is, should be like belong to everyone, not right. just the people that are able to extract it. Right. Um, Alaska, uh, actually does this, um, where everyone that lives in Alaska gets an annual check, um, based on the uh, 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 additional fee that um, companies are charged for extracting o- extracting oil that mm-hmm. belongs to Alaska, like so, they're already doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Why not? Like, and so, so again, 
um, right now the cost of, of mass extraction of our natural resources is uh, externalized to everyone else and the company isn't paying that and it's not reflected in the cost of of their products so that's why they're so cheap compared to what mm-hmm. they should be um, so if we did that um, the company wouldn't have no choice but to increase the cost of of what it's producing which would um, in- it, it, right now, like um, cheap things that like they're, uh, that we use every day, um, it's it's more economically efficient for everyone to 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 throw something out instead of getting it repaired. Right. Um, but if 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 the the actual real cost was reflected in um, that uh, item, whatever it is, um, people would m- pr- much more prefer to to get it something that they have repaired. Uh, instead mm-hmm. of throwing it out, which also has to be done in the local community predominantly, um, so that that actually boosts local economies too. So right. I, I just wanted to to mention that before we got um, too far away from it. Um, mm-hmm. But that I think is something that would need to happen in tandem with a demerge system. Right. Um, so things we can be doing now. Um, I the, where I started um, in college um, theology three. Um, <laughs> um, so for those of you listening, theology three was all about like economics, social justice, um, sort of more the, the, the structural way in which theology can impact the world and society. Yeah. Um, and that, that is, that's where I first, uh, re- like learned the importance of, uh, what is it called the ethical consumerism. Um, mm-hmm. our professor, Dr. Crane said, um, uh, I think it, he, or he was quoting someone that says every, every dollar you spend is, is, uh, a vote for the world we want to, we want to live in. Um, yeah. and so that's that I, I think that's where I've like, explained for a lot of people to start, um, is just being more aware of where, of how you're spending your money, where that money is going. Mm-hmm. Um, because in our conversation now we, we see that, um, you know, the, the way that these companies are profiting is not ethical. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we don't like globalization has, is now shown to not be a good thing for most people. Um, right. It's only good for a few. Uh, and it just, and, it just keeps compounding the, whoever has more money has, right. has it better off. Right. But also, um, you know, what I just said is, is uh, uh, interesting that it's only good for a few people. I, I, you know, I I don't even think that's accurate because the people that have so much money are so often miserable, um, and, and disconnected from everyone else. Um, I, I, I think it's not helpful to, to see us each individually being affected by this, um, and different, like separately. I think we're all, affected and negatively affected by Mm -hmm. the way that our money system works. Um, so just, uh, I would one, you know, quick thing is that just be aware of what you're, you're spending your money on. Um, you know, it's gotten very popular, but there's still plenty of people that have not been told that, um, the cocoa and coffee and banana industries, uh, a lot of like the clothing industry and many more, um, are using slave labor, um, Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, if you don't consider slave labor 
something uh, 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 labor that's that has any compensation at all than um, you know very poorly paid people. But I would say that you know people working in a sweat factory that make five cents an hour or whatever. Um, yeah, I would consider that slave labor because they don't have another choice. Um, or places places like the Rana Plaza collapse in Bangladesh, where mm-hmm. like over a thousand people died in this essentially sweatshop factory mm. because the company that owned it, I think it was like Walmart or something like that, didn't didn't want to spend the money to create safe working conditions even for their for their workers, right? And like there were people who reported that there were cracks in the foundation and cracks in the wall leading up to it like the week before. And they, they evacuated the, the factory, but then they sent everyone back in and then it collapsed and killed thousands of people. Wow. That's awful. And like, that's, that's the kind of economic system that we need to be intentional about spending, spending our money into. Mm -hmm. Like if you're, if you are spending dollars on that cheap, that cheap stuff effectively, mm-hmm. then you are sending a signal that yes, yes, yes. I want you to keep producing it just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and this, this brings me to my next point because I don't, I think simply saying that I'm going to, to buy money or spend my money um, on companies that produce more ethical products. I don't, that's just putting a bandaid on the situation. Um, right. Because, again, like the 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 idea of decreasing the GDP, um, the what what is a natural result is um, uh, creating local businesses, um, and you know, we're really decreasing the GDP. It's not creating a, a financial like money based business, but but even so, um, anything that we can do to localize um, the way that our, our money moves um, is very important. Um, we we have gone so long without knowing that we're supporting these terrible business practices because we're so disconnected from the right. sources of our goods and, um, um, you know, where they're coming from. Um, if we, if you, if there was a sweat factory in our town and um, the person living next to us um, was living in, you know, terrible poverty and could barely feed their family. Uh, and we knew them personally, wouldn't we be outraged at yeah, that factory? Um, I, I think everyone, there's, there's this desire for justice and good in everyone. Um, it's just a lot easier to, to not, care or like or not take action or you know change something if you don't know what's happening or you're right. not you're or that person is on the other side of the world and you're never you know, interacting with them and you're only hearing about what's happening through um a news source that more and more people aren't even trusting right. um you know so the more we can localize our our the movement of our money um that just has natural benefits um to that um that come from that um so uh first thing that comes to mind is gardening um what i it was really cool to see is how many more people are starting to garden um uh in the during the pand- pandemic i just um our friends we were living with um we weren't sure we were going to start a gar- do a garden this year because we're not going to be here 
you know, for, you know, we weren't sure we we're going to be here till the end of the growing season anyway. Um, mm-hmm. but they want to start a garden anyway. So, um, they just decided recently. And, um, so I just went online yes this week and, um, looked for to get seeds. Um, I looked up four the four different companies. All of them are not taking orders now because, um, people just bought out all their seeds. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I had this initial panic moment um, because it was like, this is like the real, this is really where I get, I want to get my food from is like growing it myself. And like, I don't have access to seeds. Like that was, that was a freaky moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but also I was uh, filled with um, uh, encouragement um, that so many more people are, are starting to grow their gardens again. Um, grow, uh, grow their own food. Um, but that's an, uh, gr- having a garden is an economic act. Um, mm-hmm. that, that lowers the GDP because you're not, you're not pay- going to the, the, uh, supermarket to, and giving the, your, them your money, which, um, you know, gets money in the, the pockets of investors who, you know, make more of it with, by owning it. Um, you, you, you know, someone, you have so many people, especially doing it for the first time. Like the first time I, I grew tomatoes, I uh, planted eight plants um, for my wife and I. That is a ridiculous amount of tomatoes. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so one plant is a ridiculous <laughs> amount of tomatoes. <laughs> so um, that, but so when you do that, um, you, First of all, um, you see, uh, growing your own food shows you it's a, it's an image of abundance um, because you often are left with more than you can you can um, eat. Um, so what do you what are you naturally going to do? Are you going to hold on to um, like a, a five pounds of tomatoes um, until you can eat them uh, a, a month or two from then? No, <laughs> they're going to, they're going to go rotten. So what do you do? You, you give it to someone else, um, who doesn't need to go to the supermarket either. Right. Um, and, and so that like anything we can do to, um, to not rely on our interest market economy, um, is powerful. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, like I, I got into making mead, um, because I, I really thought it would be cool. Like I, I want to see, I want to make as much as I can myself, um, and, uh, and encourage, um, other people in my, my community, um, to, to make the things that I need. So I don't need to, to go to a, a, a big store and, and buy it. Uh, mm-hmm. so I thought, you know, it would be cool to make my own alcohol. Um, uh, so, and, and naturally I, like I can, I can make a gallon of mead, um, with, uh, I think it, like two to three pounds of honey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm left with a gallon of mead, <laughs> right, right. Uh, which, which is like, <laughs> I put the one I put champagne yeast in that's, that got up to, I think eight to 9% alcohol. Um, it, that's, that's something that I naturally want to share with people. Right. Um, so when we have this abundance, um, we want to share it. Um, which is powerful. And I, so I, I would, that's something huge I think you can do is just see, you know, you, it's not helpful to think that we need to, to make everything that, that we need. Um, we want to, to have those bonds in our community. We want, I, I want to, to rely on someone else to make my clothing cause I'm not interested in making my own clothing, but someone right. down the street probably is good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, seek out other people that, that 
can provide uh, things for you and, and, and ask what you can do for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I so. think, I think by doing that, I mean, like one of the things that you talked about is gardening, um, or like being involved in your community. I think that also puts you back into connection with the rhythms of the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. I think, I think another really big disconnect that I know I've had, and I know a lot of other people have is like, we have this, this expectation that any any sort of resource is going to be available to us. Like, you know, if I need a book, I can get it off of Amazon and have it delivered to my house. Mm-hmm. If I need tomatoes in January to make pasta sauce, I can just go to the grocery store and get tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Whereas the rhythm, the rhythm of the planet and the rhythm of our communities would say in January, no, you're not going to be able to get tomatoes because they're not growing at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, either either storing those tomatoes by like can like something that my family did growing up was they would can vegetables right mm-hmm. um so that we you know like we would have we would be able to have corn in mm-hmm. the winter rather than you know like rather than going to the store to get corn that's been shipped from who knows where that was grown and what who knows what sorts of conditions like all that all that kind of stuff yes whereas like if we're if we're engaged with our communities, if we're engaged at that local level, we're more engaged with the rhythm of the planet that's going on around us. Yes. Yeah. And, but that, that requires a shift in, um, expectation. Right. Exactly. Um, like not, like you said, not needing, um, tomatoes year round, because you're going to, you can go farther into the winter, um, and having, um, you know, you don't have fresh tomatoes. You're going to have pasta sauce or soup or you know whatever you can um mm-hmm. um and and so you can extend that but like come january and february um and march to, you know uh, uh you're you're not going to have you're going to be pretty low on a lot of that stuff you're not going to have a, a, a huge supply of it right exactly um, and so you yeah so you have to change that perspective but i think i think it's beautiful um, because like how more excited will you be, in, um, for spring, um, right. for all the, the fresh greens, uh, and then for, uh, summer for when the berries, uh, ripen and then fall mm-hmm. when, when nuts, um, are, are ready to be harvested. Um, that's, that's, that's really cool. And, and you value those things more. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I, I, I thought of is, is simply, uh, sharing, um, mm-hmm. Sharing, like, um, if I, I have, I've, I build a lot, um, you know, you know, I've built, um, our first house, uh, tiny house. Um, so I, I have like most, uh, most of the power tools I need to do pretty much anything. Um, it's, I think it's very silly to have this expectation where everyone needs their own power tools, like everything, like, yeah. you know, like how often are you using a circular saw? Like I, I build a lot of stuff. I, I'm not using my circular saw every day. Um, right. it, like what if, what if we, we had these communal tools? Um, and, and it doesn't have to be like this, this shed in the middle of the neighborhood that everyone can just take from. But, um, you know, what if people knew that I have these tools and instead of going to buy their own or even rent it, um, both of which increase the GDP, they could come to me and borrow mine. Um, right. And, and then that again, decreases the GDP for, from a Christian perspective, 
uh, that sharing that's you know that sharing ha- is caring ex- yeah exactly like <laughs> G- jesus was pretty much all about sharing <laughs> right <laughs> um, so so again that's why i think like Christians should be at the forefront of wanting to decrease the GDP because because what we're talking about is is beautiful things that create relationships. Um, and so whatever you have, think again, practical step. Think of all the things you have that you don't use daily or or weekly or, uh, or sometimes even annually. Um, what can you give and what can you share um, mm-hmm. and offer to people? Um, I really and- like. Oh, so did you want to say something? Well, and I think this is another another aspect of this that I think is in, instinctual within a lot of us. Um, I know, I know, Liz and I rely a lot on, you know, family and, um, for instance, we were we got a new refrigerator when we moved into our house, and we were trying to get it connected to our water source. So we called her uncle, who is who used to be a contractor and has done a lot of like renovation work and that kind of stuff. And he walked me through the process of getting our refrigerator connected to the water. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like we're already relying on those sorts of resources and that sort of knowledge yeah. from other people instinctively. Mm-hmm. Um, on a lot of different levels, it's just reshifting our focus from it's just about me to, oh, this can this isn't something that just has to stay within the family. This is something that we can share with everyone around us. Yes, yes. Something that um, Eisenstein talks about in his book that um, I would like to implement eventually is uh, gift circles. Have you ever heard that term? Mm-mm. So um, it... Uh, get a group of people together and um, sit down and tell people, tell the group what you need and what you have to offer. Um, And like, you know, there, uh, for example, someone might, you might say that you're going on a trip soon and someone says, Hey, I need a, I need a ride to the airport um, at that time too. You know, that's specific, but like you, you just decrease, the GDP, you just um, saved a lot of gas um, and, mm-hmm. and resources um, by carpooling um, or again, power tools. Like someone might just assume that they, that no one has a power tool to offer and you're sitting on a bunch that you're not using regularly, um, you know, or someone might have um, three di- of these like, you know, kitchen tools, um, like a, a a, a ladle that you know someone gave to them that they're not using uh someone else says that i i was gonna buy this like does anyone have one they don't need um or i can borrow for this one potluck that i'm doing um mm-hmm. you know does anyone have a crock pot that i only need once um so uh, just creating an actual um regular get together um Christians, you already do this where you get together once a week. <laughs> well, why not like incorporate it in your church, uh, a gift right. circle um, where, uh, you know, we, it's even easier now that we have social media, um, create a Facebook page um, of uh, a virtual gift circle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but like, just get the word out of what you have and what you need. And the, um, specifically with people that you have, you already have relationships with. How much more will that bond you to people when someone gives you something um, or you give something to, to them? You natu- you au- automatically, instantly have a greater bond with that person. 
Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, you have you are building that relationship. Um, so that's something I think is very powerful. And and then I've also thought of, okay, you you create a gift circle um, in your you know with a group of friends or um, you know for, uh, your church. Um, what if you just can you help um, someone else start a gift circle in their church or their community. And then you had representatives from each of those circles come together regularly and, and offer things that they have in need. Um, uh, if one person might have a carpenter um, or just a handyman um, in, in their group. And the other one has um, uh, an elderly person that needs work on their house um, and there isn't a handyman or a carpenter in, in their group. Um, you just grew that network. Um, uh, uh, you doubled it, you know, if they're the same size. So, um, that's something I would encourage people to consider. Um, you know, and again, Christians already have that, um, structure. Right. I was, I was going to say again, I mean, like how many <laughs> churches do you know where like, the roof is leaking or something like that? And someone in the congregation is a contractor. So they go and so um, one of our friends who we were talking about before we started recording, um, lives out in California and she's a pastor of a church and she's going to this new church and she, I guess they were giving this tour and in, like above the pulpit, the ceiling was like decaying and about ready to collapse. So mm-hmm. one of the congregation members is a contractor. So he just went in and fixed it for the church Wow, and like, and he he is a resource for that church where if they need construction work, he's someone who can go in and use his knowledge and use his skills and gifts to be able to meet that need for the community. And yeah. again, that's something that's hardwired in a lot of the times it just gets it gets layered over with like this individualism, this consumerism, this economic system where it's like all about us and all about what we can produce ourselves. And, and also there's an assumption that it has its place in g- doing something as you can occasionally in, as charity. Um, but it's not practical to have a, a whole society doing that regularly. Right. <laughs> um, and yet I would argue that like with a demerge system with, um, uh, uh, you know, like charging, um, fees on extraction of resources, we can make that possible. Um, I, I think a really cool question, um, our friend asked this recently, right as I was thinking about it, it was really weird in our, in our Facebook chat. Um, like, uh, what would you do if, uh, like if you could do anything with your life, um, and not have to worry about money, what would you do? Mm-hmm. Um, I think when, when people, uh, just assume that everyone's lazy um, and that if we just gave money out, um, like a, a universal basic income, uh, is it's not giving people enough to go, um, buy a, a keg of beer every day. Um, right. it's, it's enough if they wanted to, and they didn't want to sacrifice the rest of their, you know, necessities and whatever, like they, they can do that, but it's just enough to, to pay for their, their bare, like for your basic necessities. Mm-hmm. Um, so people don't have to worry about that. And right. so if you like how many people want to just make music or art, um, but they can't because they don't have the money that they need to do something else, um, for that money. What if their basic needs were met? And if they wanted to just like live very simply, um, 
they and and do their art and contribute to our society that way which is uh you can't put money on that you can't put value on that um mm-hmm. how many more how much more beautiful art would we have that isn't restricted or even guided by money and profit right um that's that would be incredible or you can have someone that that wants to have more money um to either pass on or just have more things which i didn't i don't think is a bad thing and then they would also in this in this um economy be uh encouraged to buy more and give more away um then they would be the one to start a business uh and 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 create a you know, create a more income flow, uh, and have that more of that dis- disposable income. Um, mm-hmm. and I think if you like most people, if you ask that question, what would they do? They would have an answer and they would yeah. do that if they could. Yeah. I don't, I think we give people less credit than, than they deserve. Um, and we just assume the worst through our, because of our scarcity. Uh, right. Mantra, and because, and because the people who do scam the system or the people who do take advantage of these sorts of situations are the ones who get highlighted right. and they're the ones who get all the attention. Right. Because, I mean, like, there there are definitely people out there who, if they're, if they're given the opportunity, will take advantage. I mean, like, we have plenty of rich people taking advantage of the system as it is. But, exactly. I mean, like... But that's also not getting at the root of, well, what are some of the systematic things that are causing people to be in this situation in the first place? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a very it's a very blanket way of looking at the world. Yeah. And like you said, it's a it's a worldview of scarcity that says, well, you know, it's just it's not enough. It's not right. enough. And but I would also say we already have plenty of people taking advantage of the system. Oh yeah. People for sure. will always take advantage of it. Um but we we could make um, massive hoarding of wealth, uh, money, um, not economical at all and discouraged and people just wouldn't do it because uh, it wouldn't make sense. And then we'd have uh, stronger communities, local communities built on greater um, uh, knowledge of individuals. Because, and, and naturally, when you it's easy to judge someone and not trust them if you don't know them. A, right, gr- exactly. a group of people. If you know them personally, even if you you have you have uh, uh, if you know racist against some individual or some culture, um, it it's a lot harder to to have any negative feelings towards them when you know them personally and you see that right. they're a good person. Um, or you're able to see the what caught like what are some of the things that led to them being the way that they are exactly which you know how often is it poverty and you're like oh well it's actually not their fault it's they were taken advantage of or they had this happen to them I, right. I, I know I mean I have people in my life personally who um, I would I would call I would say they're racist um, like for you know for assuming that um, African-Americans are, you know, more trouble, um, whatever, like, you know, in their words. Um, but they, they know people who are black and don't judge them. Uh, right. it's, it's always, it's confused me. Um, but, but again, it's, they know them personally. Um, so what if we had a, a closer community of people relying on each other, uh, knowing each other, how much less would we have people taking advantage of the system? And, and, and in poverty um, and um, 
and and being and wanting to take advantage of the system um if we uh, um encourage each other and 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 help each other out right. I, I would say we, we would have a lot less people taking advantage of it i agree i agree it's easy to take advantage something of something if you feel someone has taken advantage of you right yeah but but you know in a community that relies on on those uh relationships uh if someone is is taking advantage of it like they're it, it wealth would be more defined on on how much you give uh instead of how much you have right um and so that person would would it would be harder for them personally to to do that because they would be they would be the poor person um that uh that people wouldn't want to give to as much um because they're they're taking advantage of it and poor is in like relationally poor right um even and and yet their necessities are taken care of which i think we all have a right for, to have that yeah um, absolutely so i i think it, it's it's hard for me to to argue against that um I, I, so yeah no i really like that i really yeah. like that a lot um well i'm feeling like we're we're getting to a good spot did you have any other thoughts or anything any other advice that you wanted to share um yeah actually uh something else that that you can do now in that's actually economically sound in our current economy um is plant uh specifically nut trees um but other like other types of productive trees um but i wanted uh, i have one of my books uh it's um resilient farm and only you can see this but resilient <laughs> farm and homestead by ben falk um mm-hmm. it's actually what we're modeling our homestead after um so for those of you listening Austin and his wife, Steph, are planning on moving out to Washington State and making their own homestead where they're going to offer a whole lots of cool things and practice this sort of system in reality. Yeah. Um, and we're going to experiment with alternative business models, too, which is the other thing that I wanted to just mention. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he... I just wanted to read this this section on the the economics of planting a nut tree. Um, so, uh, planted for a hundred dollars and tended to at a cost of fifty dollars per year in your time, the tree will yield yield roughly fifty thousand pounds, um, or one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth at three dollars a pound of fruit. Uh, this is what is it? Chestnut? I forget what fruit. The, uh, this is a, a nut tree. Um, Oh, just stone nut. Um, uh, the tree will yield roughly um, pounds of fruit uh, for in, in its first century. A total return on investment of two thousand eight hundred forty-one percent, and an annualized rate of return of seven point one percent, almost exactly the same as a fifty-fifty bond stock portfolio um, over the last last hundred years. That's not counting any wood timber value upon the, tr- the tree um, from the tree upon harvest, which can be enormous in the case of a nut tree such as black walnut, oak, and chestnut. Uh, if, you, if you didn't count your time pruning and harvesting and chalk that up to family fun, which I would say you know, <laughs> I consider that that way, um, your, your overall ROI would be 150,000 per um, percent in a hundred years over 50 years your uh your our your apr uh would be 15.8 percent 
Um, so that that is a really good investment uh, that doesn't rely on um, our fragile economy. Um, a lot of people, you know, even say like, yes, we're profiting off of owning money and keep and hold um, hoarding money, but we're seeing now more than ever how unreliable that is. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, a nut tree is one of the easiest low maintenance um, trees you can plant. Uh, you get massive return. Um, and if the economy tanks and, um, you know, selling like no one's buying anything, it's food. Everyone always needs food. Even right. if no one's buying it, you have food for yourself and your family and your community. Um, and, and specifically nuts are a calorie dense food like that in a case, in a scenario where you need food to survive, that's one of the top things you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say that because it just, that's what a powerful thing that we can do, um, to, uh, invest in like that. That's how I'm going to invest in my retirement. Uh, we're building a forest garden, um, that we're going to use to, uh, you know, offer to our community, uh, and take care of ourselves. Um, and, uh, but that's also, that's my retirement plan too. Instead of investing my money into businesses that are taking advantage of other people, um, and profiting off of owning money, um, I am building a forest garden, um, and that will be my long-term retirement plan, the value of those trees and, and what they offer. Um, and I would say that's a lot more reliable um, than trusting in, in our economy, uh, the value of the dollar. Um, and uh, the other thing that I wanted to offer to businesses um, that are o- already operating um, is seek out um, alternative uh, economic models and experiment. Um, there's a law firm, I don't know the name of it, uh, in Ohio, um, that does not, um, on their bill, they, uh, ha- they write a suggested, uh, value of their services and then, um, next to it, um, or I, I don't know if it's suggested or is it like it, it says the, um, the, the amount and then the, next to it they have a uh, a line for um uh what's the word they use um i don't remember the the, the exact word they use but uh, they allow the customer uh to change the bill as much mm-hmm. as they want uh, right if, if the person if you wanted to uh, pay them zero dollars um you could or if you wanted to pay more you could Um, and, uh, they've been successful. Um, I, I, it's, it's in Eisenstein's book that he's, he mentions them. Um, I don't remember where, but, um, there's, I, I know there's another, um, a plumber that he mentions that, um, does a similar thing where just, uh, gives a suggested price. And, uh, and I know that's very sketchy. Uh, it is very risky, uh, in our economy. Um, but, um, one of the things that Steph and I are going to try is, um, is something like that, uh, either like, um, pay, uh, pay as you can pay as you find value in our product. Um, but I think what makes a big difference is how close, like how much you know your customers. Um, mm-hmm. because if you, um, if you are this mega corporation and like everyone just sees price tags and, uh, unhappy faces of your employees that you 
pay poorly, people aren't going to care about you and giving you a lot of money. Um, right. Like if you, if you offer them everything in your store for free, um, they're just going to take it. Um, that's not economically feasible. If you have a small business, um, that relies on relationships, um, it's a lot, people will be encouraged to see, uh, to give you, um, what's like the value of your product. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and if they rely on you, um, they're going to want to see you stay in business. Right. Um, so I think it's only possible, um, if we, if we base our business around having more intimate relationships, um, with their customers. And that again is sketchy, like, or not sketchy, but like it, people are concerned about that because like, well, I have so many customers. I can't, I can't do that. Um, but that's just something that we're going to experiment in. Like Steph and I, um, we don't care to have a lot of money. Um, we're not going like our business is going to be very small, um, mm. for our local community. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we're just going to experiment with that and knowing that we, we don't need a lot. Um, it's, it's a lot less risky for us. Um, which I know not a lot of people aren't in that situation, um, where, you know, some, a lot of people have a lot more bills. Um, but, um, I would just encourage people to individually, like they, who own a business, um, think about something that they can try, um, either like offering more, uh, 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 gifts to people, um, and building those bonds through gifting. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who did work for, so I used to work for Nordstrom, which mm-hmm. is a big corporation, um, that's retail based, but even, even in this big corporation, <laughs> one of the things that they stressed in training us as sales men and women was build relationships with your customers and build rapport with them Mm -hmm. because that'll actually cause them to want to come back because they will get to know you. They will feel comfortable with you. Um, And the people who have good rapport with their customers, see their customers actually spend more money and Mm -hmm. want to give more money because they know, Oh, you're getting commission off of this. I know that by spending this with you, you're mm-hmm. going to benefit from it as well. Right, right. And and a lot of the time, like especially like small businesses, you go to farmers market. Um, uh, you like a lot of people are happy to pay more for something that they know is supporting a small family business. Mm-hmm. Um, like like we um, where we used to live, we go to this um, really cool farmers market in Bel Air. Um, Miller, Maryland. And, um, uh, we like, again, don't have a lot, but, um, we always went to the, um, the farmers that had like, they pasture raised meat and, um, chemical free, um, produce. Um, there was a, a sheep, uh, cheese dairy, um, mm-hmm. that was amazing. Uh, and like their prices were higher sometimes, not not, all, not always, but um, they're higher than you than in the grocery store because they're not externalizing their their costs um, and getting subsidies. Um, uh, but like we were happy to pay more because we saw the faces of the the families that we were supporting. They're like really they're nice, good people that um, that deserve the support. Um, mm-hmm. And it's you just you want to do that so. I think people deserve more credit than we give them. 
um, and deserve more trust uh, and um, opportunity to um, to help each other out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been an absolute joy, Austin. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. So I have this really bad tendency when I interview people, I forget to mention their names until the end (laughs) of the episode. So you're going to do an uh, intro, right? Yeah. So I'll definitely, I'll definitely (laughs) mention your name in the intro, uh, (laughs) retrospectively, but this has been an absolute joy. This has been really great food for thought. This has been really inspiring. Um, at least for me. Um, and this is something that's, I don't know. For me, wading into any sort of economics feels like a chore because mm-hmm. it feels like something that's so intangible or something that I don't really understand all that well. Yeah. Um, so thank you for taking some time to walk through that with me and with the listeners to this podcast uh, because it's. I think it's a really important conversation to have. Yeah. So. Yeah. Definitely. And um, I. It, you maybe you'll i don't know if you want to mention this in the intro but like i don't have an economics background i'm a i have a batch, bachelor's in christian <laughs> ministries uh and i just you know i just read books and i'm taking free college courses um so i'm not an expert but i i think what i've come to realize is economics um is overwhelming to a lot of people um because i think it's very it can i would closely relate it to learning a new language yeah um it's like it's intimidating at first because there's all these different words um, and particularly in economics there's a lot of words that we um, are used to using in a different way. So it's mm-hmm. tricky to, to change, to change that perspective. Um, but when you learn it um, you realize, Oh, this is, this is pretty simple and straightforward. Um, anyone can learn it. I think there's actually power um, taken away from us by not understanding it. Uh, and I think it's very powerful. If Wake do... up, sheeple! <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just I, I you know this is just something I've learned recently. I'm you know I'm not an expert, so and um, I just encourage people to to you know not be intimidated by it. Are there any particular resources that you found really helpful that other people might find helpful as well? Yeah. Um, the first thing I would say is Sacred Economics by Charles Eisenstein. Uh, that is, um, I, I've always had, I've always questioned um, certain things about how we deal with money. Um, like, uh, from from like from being pretty little, um, I, um, I heard of interest, um, and I heard of usury in church. And I was confused by, like, when I learned about what each of them meant, it was like, well, these are the same thing. So <laughs> why is an interest, why don't we have an, intru- an issue with positive interest? Um, and uh, so I, but I, I, I haven't, I didn't have enough, I had, like, my ideals, my passion for the environment um, and, uh, and his care. Um, and I didn't have any way to put all these thoughts and feelings together of right. like my passion for social justice, my desire to follow Jesus teachings. And I think this is the book, um, for people that, uh, have like ideals for making something better, uh, for caring for people in the environment and, and are looking for a, a better option for an economic system. Um, uh, that is the number one book I would recommend. Um, 
Uh, the other, another book that I, uh, that's more less, I would say it's more dense, a l- uh, little less approachable, um, than sacred economics. Um, but it's, it's a history book is, um, debt, the last 5,000 years by David Graeber. Okay. Um, it is the, uh, it's the history of debt and credit for the last 5,000 years. Um, and it's extremely valuable, um, uh, seeing, how like uh i I think it it provides a a very accurate picture of how money has developed um Mm -hmm. and um uh like it gives us um i i i like i think um we get a different image of money from historians and from economists Mm -hmm. um and i am more partial to the perspective of historians um, because I think when you just focus on economics, um, you're, you're taught a lot of what, uh, our current economic system is. And, and there's this in this bread, um, assumption that it's what it should be. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but historians have a different perspective and I think it's extremely valuable and I really like it a lot. So, um, I'd recommend that book as well. Yeah, absolutely. So. I, in general, I like historians' perspectives. That's yeah. one of the that's one of the things that really got me hooked on like spirituality and theology was looking at historians' perspective of what what is going on inside the Bible, yeah, and how you actually begin to talk about that in yes. helpful ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but no, that's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you so much for taking some time this afternoon to speak with all of us. I really appreciate it. I'm sure everyone else really appreciates it. Thank um, you. We generally end the podcast by saying peace and love. So would you be willing to take us out? Peace and love. I love it. So yeah. peace and love to everyone. And thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Austin.